Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. Today, we are going to talk about Jim and John becoming mystics. We are going to talk about the inner life. We believe the inner life is the life worth living. It's a hard life to get to, but it's a, the rewards are bountiful. The price is high. And the alternative sucks. How about that for a sales pitch, huh? That's pretty good. I think that's where we're headed. Yeah, I like that a lot. Before that, it is joke or story time, and you are up this week. Yeah, so I thought I'd tell a story that kind of um, relates to our topic today. Hmm. So uh, when I became a Christian, the I was 16 years old. My dad had just died of cancer. And um, so the youth pastor jumps into my world and starts to really look out for me, become a father figure, but really a spiritual father figure. Sure. And to this day, one of the most influential men in my life, even though after I, I probably have, I don't know, like seen him once since I was 22 or something, 24. Really? Yeah. He's still alive, do you know? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I follow him from afar. I don't really follow him, but I pop in every once in a while to his world. Anyway, he uh, he was a profound believer that, you know, Christ is real, that Mm. God is real, that the spirit of God is with us, that God wants to walk with us, do life with us, that this is normal Christianity. Normal Christians study the word of God. Normal Christians hear from God. Normal Christians have uh, what we're going to talk about today, kind of this uh, mystic inner life with God. So he he would never phrase it as go above and beyond and do these things. No, he he would say, this is, this is the base model. Like this is, this is what it is. Sure. Anyway. So, um, that's kind of how he taught me to do that. So I go to college, uh, my freshman year after three years of high school with this youth pastor discipling me in this way. And, uh, as was my pattern, I got up in the morning, uh, to go spend some time with Jesus. And, the uh, the dorms there have a second floor lobby that includes a giant big screen TV and some couches, mm-hmm. and then over another corner is a ping pong table, another corner is a pool table, vending machines, uh, seating areas, and then there's this uh, little prayer chapel. And so I thought, man, that's awesome! I got in a place the to, in the dorm. Yeah, on the second floor there. There's a little door you go into, into a little prayer chapel. Every dorm has one. And a little chapel? Yeah. I I mean, it's a little room with stained glass and, you know, maybe 12 chairs. And so you could go in there and just spend time with the Lord. Okay. And uh, so I thought, well, that's awesome. Now I've got a place to be because in your dorm room, you can't really count on being alone. Sure. Sure. So uh, I head up there with my Bible and my journal and pen. And I reach for the door. The lobby's kind of a flurry of activity. When I reached for the door to open it, it was like the room went quiet, and I could hear a ping pong ball bounce off onto the floor because <laughs> the guys quit looking at the ball, like looking at me like I'm a freak. Really? Yeah. The pool table goes quiet, and I realized everybody's watching me like, what are you doing? And I open the door and walk in there, and it's piled full of old dorm furniture, like hmm. it's not really usable. Right. And that was the day that I realized my youth pastor had been lying to me. That this was not normal. That this that what I'm doing is not normal. And um, it broke my heart a little bit. Yeah. And um, 
I have since discovered that the normal Christian life is really abnormal to most of us. Yeah. And so um, I never did compromise. I started going, you know, I, I pushed some furniture aside, made myself a little room, and I still went there all the time. And um, I found pockets of believers in college who lived this way. And we had spiritual formation class that turned it to be an amazing semester. It was actually an evening class. Mm. And it turned into like this profound community of uh, deep connection to God together Sure, in our room, in our class. So I experienced that. But I would say, um, you know, that. Uh, that we tend to think that there are l- several kinds of Christians. Like, how many kinds of Christians are there? Well, there's casual Christians, there's carnal Christians, there's backslid Christians, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's radical Christians. <laughs> and I think the Bible only knows one kind. And we've done ourselves a real disservice by thinking there's multiple kinds. Sure. And so, um, so uh, that kind of segues into our topic today because you and I have been um, really striving to. Uh, live at a different place in our own lives and doing so with a group of people. There are 12 of us and trying to learn this, uh, this deeper walk with God. Yeah. And uh, this comes about, we've been doing a lot of uh, um, extra biblical, but theological reading. So Mm -hmm. reading of, of believers and, uh, and I have a funny relationship with those where (laughs) my general stance uh, until recently was, you know, well, they can only do, half as good as scripture right mm-hmm. so it's like for me it's like you know these books there's hundreds of thousands of books on on our faith uh and and for me it was always kind of like well why would i why would i spend the time right, right when right. i could, when i could just read more scripture and so a lot of these phrases that we have that uh these guys talk about and that we're going to talk about with like the inner life mm-hmm. um mysticism the mystic life that's something that uh henry now uh in um in the name of Jesus, he mentions that. And then in another reading we're reading now, it's brought up again. And that's what God is kind of thinking about it. And so recently I've seen the value in um, uh, contextual language. People who are living in the same century as us. That's a good about idea. These yeah. yeah. So uh, I I don't think I ever w- was uh, verbally rude about authors of Christian books or anything like that. <laughs> I didn't I didn't even do that. I, I have respect for them. But now my uh, idea of the usefulness of those has has increased because of things like this. Uh, talking about contextual language again, yeah. a lot of words, you know, the word, you use the word radical, you mm-hmm. know, radical Christians. Radical is a bad word right now in the world. Mm-hmm. Maybe not necessarily for, for Christians. But it's so, it's interesting, you know, in uh, in Not a Fan by Kyle Adelman, a book we talked about probably uh, a couple months ago now. Uh, he talks about meeting resistance uh, from family members of people he had led into more of an inner life, into more of a, a this life that you lived and yeah. uh, in, in going to evangel. And, you know, parents of those people saying, well, uh, you know, you still have to have moderation. Yeah, you know? he's kind of fired up. He's a new Christian. He'll calm down. Exactly, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's funny that even in our faith, there's hesitancy to this, you know, quote-unquote radical well, commitment. And, and let's just let's just discard the word mystic. Uh, I was mm-hmm. doing that more of a funny little tag. Well, that's another. Yeah, that is a kind because of that is a, word. that's a loaded word. And, yeah. and that's certainly not what we mean. I like the word inner life. Yeah. To to understand your inner life, to go into your inner life and to live from your inner life. 
that's really more what we're talking about. Yeah. And, and everybody has an inner life. You know, they have these thoughts that haunt them at night. They have these thoughts about their place in the world. Yeah. They have their thoughts about human nature and what people are really like. And if the world is a friendly or a hostile place, I mean, we all have this inner life. I've heard it worded uh, recently. A guy was talking about uh, uh, ministering to a, a decades long atheist, 45 years old atheist. And he says, you know, what can I he's do? He's not 45 years old, but he's been an atheist for 45 years. Is that what you mean? Uh, he's 45. He's probably been an atheist for 40. Okay. So, yeah, since a young age. And he says, you know, uh, you're entering, when you're when you're talking to him about faith, you're entering into a conversation he's had with himself in his head for 40 years. Right. And that's the way I've, you know, the way I think that's about it. That's the inner life. That's Con- the inner life. Yeah, exactly. conversations, you're, that's a great way to describe that. Yeah, a conversation you've had with yourself forever. Mm-hmm. And I've got them, um, I'm pretty sure everybody's got at least a few, where it's just, that, that fight never stops. That that's interesting. Stops. What would, give me some examples of conversations that people have in their heads for years. Um, give me some examples of what those might be like. Um, a, a lot of really basic fundamental things about you. Who, who am I? Mm-hmm. What am I here to do? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, whom, you know, in certain stages of life, who am I going to marry? What school am I going to go to? And mm-hmm. then, and then how do I feel about God? Uh, for me, those are the big ones. Yeah. Am I, am I random? Is all this stuff random or is it to have a purpose? Mm-hmm. Uh, are all things that happen supposed to happen? Yeah. Uh, those are, those are inner life kind of questions. Yeah. And then, you know, it can get into the weeds, but for me, you know, I've talked very openly about, about this, about, uh, uh, grace and works, salvation requirements. You know, these are things that I just ping pong around in my head for years. I think too, some inner life conversations would be, um, can life be sustainable, sustainably good? Yeah. I know a couple of people who, who believe it cannot. Exactly. So whenever they're experiencing a season of bliss or true contentment, they keep waiting for the other shoe to fall. Because this is not the way the world is. <laughs> sure. Uh, it's not designed to give you consistent um, contentment. Yeah. People with probably um, compulsive behaviors or, or addictive behaviors, a constant uh, of beating themselves up in their inner life, you know, constant um, uh, guilt, binging and purging, you know. Yeah, I think one of my inner life battles has been this sense that, and, I, and I've realized now this is kind of a mild anxiety, that something's wrong. Mm. always having the sense something is wrong. I've only recently become totally free of this, but for uh, decades of life, this gnawing sense, something's wrong. I'm doing something wrong. I'm missing something. And it's about to become obvious to everyone. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds to me like uh, imposter syndrome. It might, it might be kind of almost textbook. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you, uh, we'll pause right here for a story because I should have told you this. I had three dreams last night. I had the same dream three times with three different people in the dream, but it was the exact same scenario. Weird. Totally weird. And I don't know if it's because I ate so much Thanksgiving food. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what the story is here, but the dreams were all three. They were rapid kind of conversations. A person approached me from the South. Mm -hmm. They were all men, I believe. And they had a package of steaks in the package uncooked. Okay. Okay, so they're giving me this food. One was steaks. One was uh, maybe like pork chops or something. But they each gave me something to prepare to give me as a gift. And I'm like, oh, I love this. Thank you. And somehow the conversation immediately became, well, I'm from the South, so you probably assume I'm an idiot. Interesting. Uh, that That – here and when it was like here is the pacific northwest here 
I don't have any credibility here, but hopefully you think this food is good. Um, clearly, I have nothing to offer. Weird. Three times. And um, my when I woke up this morning, my first thought was uh, when Joseph interpreted the dreams in, in the Old Testament, he said, well, the Lord gave you the dream three times. That means this is firmly established. <laughs> <laughs> So I I don't I, I don't think there was any meaning to these dreams, but I've never had the same dream three times in the same night. It was really, really it, weird. Just, it could be a food dream. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like it reminds me. There's a, a reference in um, what's the I can't believe I'm blanking. It's a, a incredibly famous story. The uh, uh, Scrooge and he has the the oh, dreams. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, Anyway, his thing is like almost. It's a wonderful uh, life does that, and so does uh, the Scrooge story. Yeah, yeah, and Scrooge, I think he references eating a sandwich late at night. Maybe that gave him those dreams. Oh. <laughs> I always thought that was so weird. Like, like who would who would think that? Yeah, that makes me think of you know uh, when Jesus is telling the parables, and his disciples are like, "What?" And he's like, "Well, because well, you guys are with me, I'll tell you." So it's like, <laughs> Master, what does the meat mean? Yeah. in the dream. Yeah, what is the what are the three southern men? Mean? Right, right. Yeah. So uh, it's, a, it's an interesting thing to bring up because what we both agree is that the inner life is a mysterious place. Mm. And so um, this kind of tags to another conversation we want to have at some point is the rise and triumph of the modern self that people believe that what I think on the inside here trumps uh, theology, archaeology, mm-hmm. science, biology, all of that is subjugated to my sense of self inside. And uh, so what we recognize and what we acknowledge is God is uh, true, permanent, powerful, awesome. His word is a fixture in the universe mm-hmm. and that we orbit that. So um, so this inner life is a little more art than science and operates within the guardrails of the nature of God and the word of God. Yeah. And what's interesting to me, because, again, you know, there's words get uh, complicated now we're we're in this era now where you can be a spiritual person. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, a, currently uh, for most people my age, the sense is that it's not good to be a religious person, but it's totally fine to be a spiritual person. It's not only fine; it's really cool. It, it's cool, exactly. <laughs> and I feel like it's kind. Of, it's an odd uh, when I when I think of the postmodern age, which is you know even like the 30s or 40s, mm-hmm. uh, probably closer to like the 60s or 70s, but it's a very like sterile atheism. It's a very like uh, 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 tangible atheism. Mm. It's, it's only this, a very scholarly. And now we're away from that into a sentimental atheism. And I almost prefer the scholarly one. I feel like it's easier to easier to uh, to to talk about it. The lines are clearer between the two. Yeah. You know, person now. So when we talk about being having an inner, a rich inner life or a spiritual life, you know, anybody could do that. Yeah. Well, it exactly. doesn't matter what you think about the universe. Anyone the, could do the that. woman, you know, downtown selling uh, crystals and incense. <laughs> she'd be like, yeah, I get you. I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Well, and also um, even hardcore atheists would say, yes, this is one of the mysterious functions of the human brain. Oh, sure. That it desires and creates this kind of inner life that none of it's real. Um, it's, it's some evolutionary response exactly. to loneliness or stress. Yeah. Or, yeah. In a way to self soothe. Yeah. It's like a cooing baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've, we've, we've talked around what this is. Tell me, uh, for you, what is kind of what in a day, what is the inner life for you? Like, is it just, again, is it just re- arguing with yourself in your mind mm. or is it still that where you in the morning you go and you spend time with, with God or what does that look like for you? Well, it looks like some habits for sure, okay. and habits are essential to this. I don't think a person can 
live a life from their inner life without serious effort because it is not intuitive to us and the and everything we encounter in the world sucks you out of it 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 distracts you and tempts you and and deludes you and confuses you so uh, it's a lot of work that's the first thing i would say is it's a lot of work yeah and so you can't have 15 20 minutes 30 minutes even an hour with god in the morning and now that's the secret pill now i'm insulated for the rest (laughs) of the day so it's really not just habits like that might be uh focused but it's also then carrying that habit with you throughout the day and learning to attend to, I would call it a heightened awareness of what's going on inside you. Gotcha. So uh, so now I recognize triggers um, as opportunities to assess. So, so something if, stresses you yeah, out. Somebody or... makes, something makes me really mad. My first reflex because of these habits is to go inside. Why am I so mad about mm-hmm. that? Or to consider um, and to understand, well, I'm mad about that because they just made a statement about my value. Gotcha. And then I go, well, what is my value? And why is that person allowed to make a statement of it? Right. And why would I be so mad that that person just stated the value that I just confessed before God I actually am? So what insecurity (laughs) in your value do you have in your actual self that they they actually They punched a button. Yeah. 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 Inadvertently. Yeah. And why is that button there? You know, just to to go in the inner life. But most of the time that's, that's a, that's a rabbit hole that you can show sure. in. That is a great rabbit hole to go to, not to live in, right. But to visit because you need to understand why you're thinking, feeling and reacting the way you're doing, but also to find your source, your to center again. And so I, I predominantly throughout the day center myself, which is what I do in the morning and or the evening is center myself again replaying the day in my head, thanking God for the nuances throughout the day, mm-hmm. identifying, oh, I didn't even think about that, but that has ramifications or that's a that's an indicator. I need to see what that's telling me. Sure. So to replay the day, um, to forecast the day, but also the centering of just, man, God, I am so grateful that everything that matters about me has been established in you. I was made by you, for you, and through you. Uh, I am I am depraved and broken, and you have you have conquered my depravity with your own blood, mm. and so my sin is forgiven, my wickedness is forgiven, and I am adopted by the King of the freaking universe. The God of the world has chosen me and adopted me, and living in that space, it is. Uh, there's some things we'll talk about what this is doing for us because I'd like to hear your description of how you're uh, practicing or learning or engaging in this inner life but yeah. for me that's what it is 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 uh, centering there recognizing that this is what matters like when i stand alone before god this is what we're going to talk about sure <laughs> uh, the rest is all symptoms the rest is is uh, manifestations of this yeah and so this is what i will give an account for this is what this is what changes me empowers me um and so uh, that's really what I mean. Is that helpful? Yeah. So I think how I read that, uh, especially that last part, is um, descriptive, like like behaviors. Uh, there's observable things and non-observable things. So if, if in the law, you're controlling the observable. You're controlling um, uh, conduct, uh, a ritual, 
you know, things that people see. Yeah. So we have a law. You can't kill someone. Exactly. That doesn't stop you from hating them. Exactly. So then yeah. when Jesus comes in and, and removes the law, quote unquote, he elevates it beyond the observable into the inobservable. Mm. He says, now it is not just what you do. It's what you feel in your heart. Yeah. And that's why it's freaking scary for people when he first says it, that you must be more righteous than the Pharisees yeah. to get in the kingdom to people hearing that that's, we're not getting into the kingdom. Right. And so uh, we know, you know, we can only do these through the spirit because it is impossible to change your own heart. Uh, but that to me is the inner and outer. So, man, that's a brilliant. That's a great thing. Yeah. yeah. So so it's it's the inobservable life. And we know that because what we're talking about when we talk about um, uh, what Jesus does for us, when we're talking about identity, mm-hmm. uh, the core of, of that identity is the inobservable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's who you are in the inner right. life. So uh, for me... I spend, you know, my whole life spend a lot of time uh, thinking <laughs> and, uh, and everybody does, but, uh, uh, I spend a lot of time thinking. So when I hear of the inner life, you know, when I got to college was the first time I had heard the term, um, uh, thriving thought life. And so that to me is kind of the, the non-spiritual way to have this conversation is your, is your thought life and, and how healthy or unhealthy or thriving or not thriving that is. And so the inner life is interesting to me because until recently, uh, I am alone in there, right? And it's kind of uh, diffuse. It's very confusing. I'd have uh, long, long periods of uh, the way I'd word it as being like untethered. Like I can't really follow through lines very well. It not not in practical terms. You know, if someone says, "I need you to solve this problem. Uh, I need you to bake this." item for instance i never i don't cook but if someone if someone gave me something to do it's not like i couldn't do it but in my head with some with abstract thoughts or things like that it was just kind of hard to follow some things until until moments of of clarity uh if you've listened to any of the john thoughts you know you you've i've shared this with you very intimately you've experienced this in real time uh but recently you know the uh the living god the way your pastor worded it that, mm-hmm. that jesus is alive mm-hmm. and real uh, that's become very real to me, and it makes the inner life uh, uh, way more alive <laughs> than it than it was. Because you're not alone in there anymore. Exactly. If yeah. it was just me playing, it was basically before it was me playing with Legos. That's yeah. my thought life. Yeah. And then the inner life is it feels real. So I, I, I you and Jesus are playing with those Legos together. Exactly. <laughs> and Seriously, I mean, you're building, deconstructing, thinking. Yeah. Having conversation together. Well, and in real time, I mean, since you know. How long is this group? That was in September, right? Early September? Uh, we've just finished nine weeks. Nine weeks. So uh, since the beginning of that, there's been real times where I've been um, angry or uh, uh, a night of particular sadness and depression and in real time been advised and comforted uh, and through, you know, through that inner life, through that uh, abiding. Mm-hmm. And it's been... Uh, really really crazy and it's weird to talk about these things because even though you know like you said even among the people at evangel you went to even among professing christians this can sound pretty frou-frou-y i'm imagining people rolling their eyes or you know that might just be my insecurity but yeah but there's a lot of people who this is uh this doesn't sound this sounds far-fetched or something you know you know what i'm saying i know what you're saying about the rarity of it i'm not sure that people would have the opinion you're thinking i think they might be in some ways jealous of it but in other ways maybe like 
oh, that just seems like so much work. I don't want to work that hard. Mm. It is it, for some people th- like you've always lived in your thoughts. So the inner life for you was a natural zone. It's, and there are people for whom that zone is not natural. Yeah. For me, you know, again, talking back, uh, talking about healthy or unhealthy thought life, mm-hmm. um, my thought life and, and I would assume a lot of people's it was characteristically unhealthy. A lot of negative self-talk, a lot of you yeah. idiot. Why did you do that? Yep. You know, things like that. And just, and just in a hellscape, just a spiral. Yeah. Really, really, really. I think frustrating. that is universal. Yeah. Yeah. So that goes from, um, you know, that goes from unhealthy thought life to, to what we call the inner life is more, uh, I, maybe, I don't know if you could have an unhealthy inner life. You know what I'm saying? The inner yeah. life is, is the realization of this, this healthiness. It's weird because I, I f- there's an obsession with, uh, actualization, right? Mm-hmm. With becoming your best self that started in yeah. who knows when, oh, but forever ago, yeah. self-actualization. Yeah. Yeah, you go into seminars, you know, mm-hmm. reading this book. Mm-hmm. You go visit this guru so you can become your best self. Yeah. And uh, and I eventually, you know, because everyone has an ideal self. It's not like that's, that's not the most frou-frou-y, goofy thing to have is an ideal self. And uh, and I you get I, I got so frustrated with this, again, this spiraling, tormented thought life where I was like, well, the, the ideal self where I'm at peace and I don't have this constant uh, fight with myself that's never going to happen. And I got kind of pessimistic about it, but, uh, and it's funny that the, the actualized version of this is not what I thought it would be because it was selfish. Mm. Right. So it's, again, it's that if I could just be a better me, that, that, uh, fight is futile. That's never, yeah, that's, that's not going to happen the way you might think it. Yeah. I saw, I saw a show and the guy saying, you know, this guy had done horrible things to people. Mm. He had just used and abused women. And he's saying to a woman, I just don't want you to think I'm an evil person. I don't want you to think that I'm malicious. I didn't realize this was a lot of ignorance. This was a lot of blah, blah, blah. Hmm. I just need you to know I'm not an evil person. And I woke up thinking about that this morning because, no, you really are an evil person. We all are. This yeah. is this is part of coming to terms in the inner self. And this is why everybody has company in their inner self. It's mom and dad. They hear voices. Sure. In there. Country song, I hear voices, you know, <laughs> uh, and uh, it's a great song. I, yeah, you know, um, but everybody hears voices in there, and it, it could be mom and dad, it could be Darwin, it could be philosophers. Nihil- I don't know who's hearing Darwin. In well, because they've they've drank the Kool Aid that it is a survival of the fittest world. Mm. It's animals. We're all animals. You know, but they're they're thinking in there. They're not alone because it could be Joe Rogan. Yeah, it could yeah, be, yeah. Because we retain things that we hear, read, and, and experience, and so uh, this is why the importance of a Christian inner life is to subjugate the inner life to the authority in there. Bring the King in there mm. and bow to His authority. Bow to the subjugate your thinking to His Word. This is uh, Romans twelve one. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Sure. Allow the truth of God to rule over your thoughts and feelings so rather than legitimizing your feelings and legitimizing your thoughts submit your thoughts reframe your thoughts this is why the inner life can be such hard work but it's also why it's such a powerful place to live from and once a person is free in their inner life they are free everywhere yeah this is what i'm experiencing uh currently well and the so the reality of it is is obviously foundational Mm-hmm. So, you know, healthy inner life and 
it's really about uh, it's it's the rock, you know, it, in a, in a way. Yeah, build your life on the build rock versus build it on sand. Yeah. Exactly. So you can be, you can have an inner life that's a mess and still have a good day and mm-hmm. still have a good season and mm-hmm. you know be happy. Um, but in my experience, it it will not take much at all to just, just knock the house down. Yeah, yeah, and turn. You know, you can be uh, patient and like happy and fun to be around when you're having a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think for you to be that same way through hard times takes a lot more of a, a lot more of a foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's quick do our uh, uh, show and tell media review, and then I want to talk about. We keep mentioning the cost of this, or uh, I want to talk about how how you go from the the tormented circle to the rich inner life. I love that, and you know this. Now we're gonna we're gonna get into why this is so rare. Yeah, yeah, awesome. All right, so you're up with the uh, media review. What do you got? So I had for a stretch a series of albums. I was walking through my my jazz journey. How fun is that? How mystical does that sound? <laughs> walking through my jazz journey. <laughs> Um, <laughs> one more reason you're rare. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or not rare. Maybe, maybe, uh, boringly average, but there is, uh, an album I'm excited to share about today. This is one of my, this is a big one for me. I've talked about, uh, every tr- album you've talked about is a big one for you. Yes. This one is especially big. <laughs> <laughs> this one's a big deal. So uh, I talked about how I started listening to jazz because of our local, at the time it was called KPLU. Now it's KNKX our local NPR jazz station and KPLU is when it was on the, the Pacific Lutheran university campus. Now they're independently owned. Uh, so anyway, so they do, uh, they have an NPR news and they do jazz and on uh, Saturdays and Sundays, they There's do blues. all blues. Yeah. They got some good music on there. So that's when I first started listening to jazz intently. You know, it's kind of, it's a background music characteristically for our time. So it's in elevators and a pause right here. If, if the words, if we lost you at NPR, uh, huh. Uh, go into your inner life and ask yourself why that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, if someone's in a dinner party in a movie, there's jazz in the background. Jazz is, well, what could I put on that no one's going to think about? You know, it's funny because we have high school seniors over and I'll put jazz on and Sue's like, please don't do that to them <laughs> because some people jazz is torture. Really? Oh yeah. I didn't realize this cause I've, I've always had a little affection for it. It's not like I would listen to it all the time, but for some people to have jazz on in the background is not pleasant. Very interesting. Yeah. But whereas instrumental, maybe Luther Vandrossi kind of stuff or a little R and B. Sure. Sure. Uh, would be more for some people. I don't know. That's interesting. Well, anyway, so for me, this is one of the first times that I had listened to it front and center where it was the only thing on and I'm, and I'm listening to it. I'm, I'm, you're paying I'm, attention. I'm considering it. Yeah. I'm, I'm observing it. And, uh, and it changed the whole game. So then I started listening to jazz music at the time, so this had actually this was a contemporary album when it came out. Uh, I I'm not even that old, but it's weird to me that this album was already. Uh, it came out in 2014. This album is Rising Sun by Takuya Kuroda. I've talked about him before. You have. Uh, uh, that's T A K U Y A K U R O D A. He's Japanese. All this music is instrumental. So if you get weird, I mean, he's just a musician. All it'll sound as if a an English person doesn't had sound Asian. Asian. Does not sound Japanese. <laughs> Uh, he, I've shared albums on here before that he had done that were more typical. His first one, his first big one, uh, Edge, is is a very standard uh, uh, jazz album. In, in as much as the technology used, the techniques used, it, it sounds a little more timeless. Rising Sun was his first where he's using uh, synths. It's uh, I've said it before. 
Takuya, in my opinion, is the best living jazz musician. Uh, uh, he's done so much, and he's it's still obscure, and it hurts me. And a song from from this album wasn't a car commercial, and it was a cover of this song. It wasn't even him. Wasn't doing even it. his. It's like you're, just use the man's original song. Yeah, yeah. So Rising Sun, it uses uh, samples. Um, there are actually in this one there are two songs with lyrics. He does not sing. He has a a, a uh, he brings in a guest singer. Uh, but it's incredible. In my opinion, one of the more important uh, jazz albums of the, of the 2010s uh, because, again, of that, it, it's the most, you see a lot of, the reason I love the genre is because it's very flexible, mm-hmm. the, the genre of jazz, very, mm-hmm. very flexible. I've talked about shallow genres like blues. Blues mm-hmm. is, is not flexible. And then very broad genres like jazz where you can get into a lot of places. And a, a lot of the times you pull from different genres. So he's like, oh, well, this is going to be, uh, this is going to be Afro jazz. This is going to be a little more funky. Mm-hmm. And this to me stays close to the uh, identity of jazz with the new technology. So it's, it's bringing in a bunch of it. It's, it's very forward thinking without being derivative of other genres. It's very special to me. If you're going to, I do this for all my albums that I share with you guys. So you don't have to listen to the whole thing. If you're going to listen to one, listen to a song called Piri Piri, which is P I R I P I R I. It's on the album. It's track three. Listen to that for me if you have interest. And if you don't like that, walk away. No biggie. Hey, <laughs> no feelings hurt. I just am happy to share it with you. Uh, and and you've probably heard track five, Everybody Loves the Sunshine, because it is in a lot of stuff. Uh, that's his big one. Mm. But uh, that's my album for today. Got in the weeds of, of jazz again. But uh, hopefully, if you want, you check it out. And hopefully, you like it. All right. We'll be right back. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, welcome back. I want to give a quick thank you to our patrons. Uh, the thing I enjoy most about this, besides the actual conversations themselves, is the uh, the feedback. So this is, to me, a lot of just shouting out. Mm-hmm. And then I know that we have listeners because I can see the analytics, mm-hmm. but I have no physical evidence of that until I get an email right. or a comment on the website or a DM on Instagram. So those for me are my absolute favorite. That's gold. So yep. If you want to, uh, you can you can you can make our life without touching your wallet. Yeah, exactly. Seriously. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, if you have anything you want to say or any uh, episode ideas or anything like that, we'd love to hear from you. So we've talked a lot about um, the value of this, the importance of this, the meaning of this, uh, and you've mentioned that it's difficult and that it costs a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that the alternative is way worse. So, so break that down a little bit for me. When when you talk about that value or the the difficulty of it, what do you what do you mean? 
Yeah, well, um, I would say, you know, the uh, cost of not doing it is is high. Sure. Um, I forget who said it. The unexamined life is not worth living. Uh, <laughs> that's I good. I don't remember who said that. It's famous. Yeah. Um, but that's true. And so many people live unexamined lives. And it it sucks you into believing things matter that don't matter. Yeah. And um, it's heavy. It's weighty. It's discouraging. It can can also be exhilarating. But you're a pinball on a pinball machine subjected to whatever the bumpers and flippers do to you. Um, and this is a way to escape that. And that's why it's so powerful. But the reason it's so difficult is that it's um, it's not intuitive to us. And so you have to learn a whole new way of being. Mm. And so uh, there's a steep learning curve. Uh, I would say, at least for me, it's immediately gratifying. So it's not like you have to acquire a bunch of skills and habits before it starts paying off. Sure. I think it pays off immediately. Sure. Um, but to to really live there, to um, it requires thought. It requires and thought requires space, and space requires time. Mm-hmm. So um, that's why I say it's expensive. We. Um, are trying to develop seven day a week habits. You know, we've I've said forever. You know, aim for seven, settle for five. Sure. Um, seven is winning, man. Yeah. And seven's hard. You know, yes, it, we we had uh, it's holiday time, Thanksgiving, Christmas, more crowds, more busyness. It's going to be harder. It's a harder time to do this. It's it's essential. You have to. Uh, I think the high price is you have to say, I can't live without this. Mm. And this is a high enough priority that it will be a fixed part of my life. Um, and I will make my life work around it. And that's the assessment of its value. Again, that's saying yeah. that this is worth enough, enough to me where if I, it takes me 30 minutes, say, and if I need to get 30 minutes less of sleep, I can do that. Then that's worth it to me. Yeah. That's a win. Yeah. And uh, to say to my wife or kids or roommates or whatever hey i'm gonna i'll be back in about 30 minutes Mm -hmm. and escape get out of there um these take uh decisions you know uh, they take commitment and habit and action and uh so this will not do its it will not do the work for you yeah my biggest uh wall for these so basically the way my time with uh god would go would be for about, if I'm lucky, a month, more than likely a little over a week and a half, maybe mm-hmm. two weeks, I'm in a groove and, mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm reading, feeling good. Uh, normally the weather is good when this happens. Kind of funny. <laughs> I just now realized that. Normally it's sunny. And out. weather. Oh, sunny. Yeah. I was yeah. thinking weather, good weather for you would be overcast and wet. I do love that. But no, the times I can think of, it's been springtime. Okay. Uh, and so, and in the middle of it, in the midst of my my joy and renewed uh, sense of, of uh, closeness, I know it's going to end. I know eventually it's just going to stop happening. And uh, and I was always right. And uh, the reason for that was <laughs> because I would not, um, again, we're talking about this very sentimentally because it's the way it is. To me, this is approaching God. I know he's always there, uh, but this is me acknowledging him, looking at him, and trying to talk to him. And so for me, it would always be shame every single time. Shame mm-hmm. is what prevents me from from approaching again mm-hmm. the throne. And uh, it's also distractions. You know, for me, uh, there are there have been times, even in this, this new uh, disciplined era, 
where I'm like, oh, I would rather, I'd rather do other things. Mm-hmm. And so you have to actually make yourself do it. But but more often than not, it would be shame. And so uh, I'd be like, man, I've been a turd today. God doesn't want that. Mm-hmm. And, and and even if so, this is the thing. This was the confrontation of my professed beliefs and my beliefs in action, my observable mm-hmm. beliefs. Yeah, professed beliefs. I know he told us to forgive people who harm, who, who, you know, insult, 70 times, seven, seven, seven times a day in a day, yeah. in yeah. a single day. And he would never tell us to do something he wouldn't do. So I, I know this is not the case. You could, you could do this, you know, uh, carousel a hundred times. Uh, but in action, it just, I couldn't, I couldn't overcome the, the guilt. So hey, I don't even like me. Why do I think God would want to be with me? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let me give it a couple of days. Let me mm-hmm. be really nice tomorrow. <laughs> And be a really good dude, and then we'll be good to go. Yeah. So uh, now, so me like, for for context, probably should have said this sooner. But me and uh, my dad are in a, a a prayer study Bible study group where we read scripture uh, chapter a day, and then we read from a, a a different theological book, and we meet up once a week. So what this has done is uh, is accountability is is discipline. So now it goes like this: I've been a turd today. Um, if I don't do the stuff now, I gotta, I gotta account for that later. So I'm just going to do it anyway. Mm. So in the beginning it would be for the first time in my entire life. I can't believe it took me this long, but I, you know, I was 25 at the time when we started, well, I was basically 26. First time in my whole life approaching the throne with guilt and shame, mm. not approaching it feeling good Yeah, and being forced to do that because of my commitments. Yeah. And then I found the real value of this, the actual, the actual secret sauce of this, so that he was there for me, you know, even though again, intellectually I know he's there every time, but there are times when I approach the throne, I don't feel him, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's just kind of sterile, but he was there for me in really real powerful ways every time on bad days. Yeah. And this was incredible. This was the actual, the, this that was, was the breakthrough, the breakthrough. Yeah. And so since then is when I've experienced the actual power of the inner life, the consistency of it. Uh, so for me, that, that was the, the price was, um, or the, not the price, the difficulty of it was this, was these, these shame walls, these guilt walls. And it took a very rigid structure to, uh, to get around that consistently. Yeah. Now I've noticed that, you know, when I pursue this period of time, this habit time, yeah, that I, it's best if I throw my watch away and not concern myself with how much time it takes. Sure. But I've also found that whether I concern myself or don't, it still takes, you know, 15 to 30 minutes. Hmm. It's not a marathon. Yeah. And that's a beautiful part of it as well. But let me ask you this. Um, That's your, uh, you know, your concentrated time. Are you popping in and out of the inner life throughout the day? And what's that like? Yeah, I'm. uh, uh, It's funny because you would think a person with the the, uh, naturally intense or rich thought life would be more easily focused. Uh, but I'm like leaves in the wind, man. I'm, I got, I got focus problems <laughs> easily distracted. Yeah. And so, uh, in, you know, going about my day, all that stimulus work, um, and all of it, it, it is hard for me to, uh, maintain kind of that, uh, regular piece. Generally, it's something that just kind of hits me and go, ah, of course. So I'll be driving or I'll be doing the dishes and I'll mm-hmm. be like, I could totally, I could totally experience this you know, that, that inner life right now, I could, I could enter mm-hmm. into that, to mm-hmm. that piece right now. Um, uh, but it doesn't, uh, doesn't generally stick with me. I wonder how much of that we talk about. We haven't talked about, uh, 
we've talked a little bit about discipline so far, but that to me is like total, you know, wushu master feng shui <laughs> focus. If you can, if you can maintain that piece while you're working, yeah, you've you've got some kind of superpower. That that for me is is very difficult. Uh, but it's better now than it's ever been. It was, uh, you know, I was listening to another one, one of my all time favorites. Maybe I'll talk about this one day. Uh, is a jazz album written by some uh, Muslims in London. Mm-hmm. And so uh, before this kind of, uh, I'll keep calling it an era, I guess, before this era of peace for me, um, I I wouldn't invite God into the room with it just, you know, when I'm listening to secular music. And it's hmm. not like I don't feel guilt about the music I listen to. It's, it's, it's again, instrumental music. They're right. not singing about how much right. they love a lot or whatever, but right. it's written, you know, anyway. I don't know why that's weird for me. In my again, intellectually, it's not weird, but in in my heart, it was. I was listening to this album, and I was taking a long way home around Capital Lake, and uh, just living it up. And I and I entered into peace of God. And it was great. So so more and more that happens, but uh, normally it is almost confined to the thirty. For me, it's almost it's generally forty five minutes. I take a little longer, mm. but yeah, that's awesome. And um, are you having? Um, what what would be your advice? Well, let me just say this: there was a guy. There's a guy in our group who's in my smaller group uh, who, who described it this way the other day. He said it's like a revolving door into a hotel lobby, mm-hmm. and the revolving door goes into the inner life. And he said, just as I think, oh, I'm in, I flip back out, <laughs> and I'm back on the outside again. Back on I'm the like, sidewalk. What happened? I'm back out here again on the sidewalk. How does that? How do you uh, resonate with that? Well, that was again. That's that was my life before. Yeah. Whenever I could see it, and I'm even in there for a little bit, mm-hmm. I know it's not going to last. So uh, the biggest part uh, internally, as far as the me- the mechanics of my actual soul, it was that that guilt and shame. But really, the uh, uh, this is the. Uh, it's funny that I view it this way. I view it almost as like uh, spirit miracle wisdom and practical wisdom, and most of the time almost all the time they're they're one they they go hand in hand the but this is and this is one of both the practical wisdom of having the group mm-hmm. is the is the structure and the accountability so yeah. um i don't know why this is cuz i ha- i should have had that accountability in like school mm-hmm. it didn't work there <laughs> so you would think well why not you could just slough off your homework here too and fake it and you know do scribble something in a journal page so you can say i did write uh-huh. something every day you could cheat yeah uh but i don't and uh and so when we talk about the body of Christ, right, and the power of, of coming together with believers, uh, that's a spiritual miracle, being that we are members of the body of Christ, and it's a practical reality yeah. that humans together uh, are different and more successful than humans alone. Mm-hmm. And we've talked a lot about how in our culture that is especially challenging to have to reach the levels of intimacy that we're called to reach with our brothers and sisters. But for uh, for the relationship I now have with God uh, was, I might call it impossible without the aid of this group, without this, this, and I've mentioned structure in again, kind of that sterile word right, structure. Right. I use this group as a tool to bring me closer to God. Yeah. But it's, it is, it's a lot more than that. Well, it's also a vulnerability because you do confess. Yeah. Rather than lie about your journal, you do confess. I failed a few days this week. Yeah. And there's something profound about that as well so you're not just taking you're also giving receiving there's a vulnerability absolutely there of sharing that's pretty significant yeah the last thing i'd like to say about all this is that um for me i i do think 
that the difference between um, a mysterious, unguided inner life is one that submits to the authority of God in his word. So Mm. I think that's such a pivotal part. And for me, um, going slowly through passages of Scripture, noticing word usage, noting, noticing word count. Uh, there's a passage in First Second Corinthians chapter one that uses the word comfort in about five verses five times, and thinking that that leads me to think, man, that that word's in there a lot. This is about comfort, and thinking about what is it saying about comfort, and where comfort come from comes from, and how to get comfort. And He's the God of comfort. It brings me into this space of the inner life of reflecting on God's comfort, the comfort that I have or don't have, et cetera, et cetera. So sure. uh, I find people, you know, you mentioned the group is indispensable. I agree. And I think that also the word is indispensable Yeah, because you, you can run off the reservation if you don't have the map of the word to keep you in a certain space. Yeah. Well, for me, um, so if the whole point of this inner life is closeness to God and we have his written word, yeah, uh, it's hard to separate my temperament from the truth. But to me, that's the most dependable source of the word of God we have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, I'll give my, my takeaway for me, even now, not every, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll just get through, uh, get through my reading and praying. It is a little bit more like the motions. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. But uh, often what I found is uh, if you're struggling, you think, well, I don't, you know, I don't even know where to start. In prayer, I've used, uh, you actually preached on this a, a while ago. I don't remember when, but it was it was huge for me. Uh, praying the way Jesus taught to pray, not in memorizing the Lord's prayer, but in the structure of the prayer, mm-hmm. the, the order of the prayer. Mm-hmm. Number one is uh, our God in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy are you, your kingdom come. You know, you start off with praise. Yeah, and then you get into. I always used to start off with asking for forgiveness, mm. and so now I do that towards the bottom because the first most important thing is praising and worshiping God and acknowledging and, His goodness. Yeah, and Father, our Father yeah. who art in heaven. So it's the otherness of God, the fatherhood of God, the holiness of God. Really, rec- staring at that first. Yeah, and so uh, for me, that always brings me, almost always brings me back into a sense of why I'm doing this. Yeah. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So, uh, well, you can pat yourself on the back for that again. I got that. I got that from you. <laughs> so, if you're having issues feeling the closeness of God, or, or uh, I would f- spend the first part of your time reflecting on uh, how good He is and how may, how holy He is, what He's done, in not just. I mean, for you especially, if you have moments of testimony that you can go back to and remember when God did this for me, but also, I mean, in you know what He's done in creation, uh, that for me is always big. Yeah. Let's finish with one last story. Okay, sure. You told me a story this morning about one of your uh, alone times, your inner lifetimes in front of the fire, and um, you had kind of envisioned Jesus sitting off to one side of you, and there's this long silence, and then he says one thing. (laughs) Kind of walk through that, if you don't mind. Is that Yeah, no, that's good. Because I love this moment. This is uh, the most... This is the most frou frouy. So if if you are the rolling your eyes guy, <laughs> uh, just just bear with me. Uh, so we read as part of this group a book called Chair Time, and it's a guy talking about uh, his practice of listening to God specifically. So not just prayer, but of uh, just sitting down and listening, and uh, the practice of doing that. And he said you get he got silence for the first month before he heard anything, and so and he goes times where there's still silence, but he hears more from God. So. 
I didn't uh, inherit this practice entirely because I had already this rhythm going with my with my um, discipline time with God. But every now and again, I uh, I practice what he calls chair time. So, uh, and it's funny he mentioned this as he calls it spinning off. It's actually a meditative practice I've heard of, where when you're trying to clear your mind and things come up, you don't uh, punish yourself for it or just try and get them out of your head as soon as possible. You observe them. You hold them in your head. So you're trying to listen to God and you see, and you see something about work. Uh, you're like, oh, I got to deal with this thing tomorrow. You don't just, you know, throw that away. You look at it and then you spin it away is how he says it. you spin it off. For me, I always imagine a fire, even when I don't have one actually going, uh, for whatever reason, it's just cozy. And, uh, and these thoughts for me, instead of spinning off, they come out of the fire and smoke and I see, and I can see them and I watch them slowly go up in the smoke. And they go. And generally, that's helpful for me just as a semantics thing. This is not, you know, you can do whatever you want. Sure. But because because of my lack of focus sometimes, it helps mm-hmm. it, it helps me uh, clear them out. So uh, I felt the, the uh, I don't know, the, the inkling to, to do this every, uh, uh, one night. And it was quiet for a long time. And, you know, chair time guy says, sometimes nothing happens. I'm like, I'm, I'm about ready to, to go. It's been probably a couple minutes. It's probably been 45 seconds, if I'm being honest. But sitting there in the silence, you know, <laughs> trying to clear your mind. Feels like it's been about five minutes. And uh, and he's always to the left of me for whatever reason. Maybe it's because my left peripheral vision is not good, so I can just imagine him there. But uh, uh, around the fire. And after a while, he just says, uh, and again, I have this thought. I, I won't speak to, uh, declaratively for, the, for God, but I have the sense that he says to me, uh, isn't this nice? Just sitting there, I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, man, this is very, it's very nice. nice." Yeah. So it's a, it's again, we think of this utility, we think of it purposefully, uh, but the the whole point of it in the first place is just relationship with God. Yeah, I love the line, "Enjoying God, enjoying you." Yeah, and that's what happened right there. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome, and it reminded me because I was not there to spend time; I was there to get my job done, <laughs> and uh, and He brought me back down to that, and that that's the, I mean, that's the miracle of it. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Well, hey, we hope uh, you're encouraged to give uh, some effort and some uh, work toward your inner life. It's a great place to live from, to find health, wholeness, recovery, uh, life. So we're cheering you on, praying for you. If we can serve you in any way, send us an email, info at jimandjohn.com, no H in the John. Uh, DM us on Instagram, Jim and John. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. Pass the episode on to a friend you think could use it. And man, thanks for being... uh, part of the Jim and John family.